Well, I was heading over to Israel, and I'd never uh, really been outside of the country. I've been to Canada and Mexico, but I'd never made a, a cross-continent flight before. And I was, I was in college at the time as, as part of my master's program. I had to go over to Israel for a New Testament class. And we flew into to JFK in New York City, and then from there, we were boarding El Al, which is the official airline of, of Israel, and we were boarding that to fly into Tel Aviv. And everybody boarded the plane, and before we were able to get on the plane, they pretty much interrogate you. They ask you why you're coming to Israel, what your purpose is. Uh, I was able to do it with a couple other people because we were all part of the same group, but they asked us some questions about that, and then they granted us access onto the plane, and we got settled onto the plane, and I had a middle seat, and nobody's going to take a middle seat from you. So I had a, I had a middle seat, and it, I, I forget how long. I think it's something like seven hours or, or something, maybe even more than that, the, the flight. So it's, it's a long flight, and it was, it was a red eye. So we were leaving New York City at, at about midnight, maybe 1 o'clock in the morning. We're in the air. I finally drift off to sleep, which isn't easy to do, but I finally drift off to sleep. And this is about five years after the September 11th terrorist attacks. So I'm sleeping, and all of a sudden, in the middle of my sleep, I'm, I'm awakened with this loud yelling in a language that I do not understand. And not to profile, but we're headed to the Middle East. So, you know, it, maybe if you're headed to Australia or London, you wake up to some screaming. You're like, okay, somebody had too much to drink on the flight, or there's, you know, a domestic thing going on. We're all right. No, we're heading to the Middle East, and this is five years after September 11th, and I just woke up, and I'm like, we're all about to die. We're all going to die. And then I, I feel the plane, and it's, it's like vibrating, and it's, it's moving, but it's not turbulence. And I'm, I'm, I'm delirious because I've just woken up, and I look around me, and there are all these Orthodox Jews who are standing in the aisles of the plane, and they are praying. And by praying, I mean chanting. And some of them have their hands on the side of the, of the airplane, and they are rocking back and forth. And I'm just waking up, and I'm like, what is going on right now? I don't know what this is. And so I, I asked somebody from our group who'd been to Israel before, and he just starts laughing. And he says, welcome to El Al. It's a wonderful experience. Have, have, you ever been, have you ever been in a situation, maybe you've been in a foreign country, maybe you've been in this country, but there's a, a language barrier between you and, and someone else? Have you ever, you ever found yourself in a situation where, where people just don't have they don't have the same language. There isn't just that instant level of understanding that there can be when everybody's on the same page and, and everyone's speaking the same language. Sometimes, sometimes that can make us uncomfortable. Sometimes it makes us uncertain. Sometimes we just, we just don't know how to act and we don't know how to respond just because there is that language barrier. And, and it just brings in all that uncertainty and, and really just uncomfort sometimes. Today, we're going to see where all of this started. 
So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. We're going to be in Genesis 11 today. If you have a traditional Bible, you can turn to Genesis 11. Genesis is the very first book in the Bible. If you're streaming from home, thanks so much for joining us. The verses will be available on the screen below. But we're going to look at a story that if you grew up in church, uh, maybe even you didn't grow up in church, but this has been a story that's been discussed even outside the lens of Sunday school. We're going to look at a story that you probably are familiar with, maybe not, but, but chances are better than not that you are familiar with. And it's, it's, called, it's called Babel, and we're going to see what exactly happened in Babel, and we're going to see that in Genesis 11 as Moses records it for us there. So we're going to start in verse 1 where we read these words. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. The whole earth had one language and the same words. Where we left off at the end of Genesis 9, we saw Noah, we saw his family. Genesis 10 really fleshes out Noah and his family fulfilling the blessing that God had given them to be fruitful and to multiply. And so Genesis 10 is just full of genealogies. It's full of reports of how Noah's family did exactly that and all the descendants that were coming about. And now we arrive at this scene in Genesis 11. And what we're told right off the bat is the whole earth had one language and everyone in the earth used the same words. So everyone is on the same page. Gone is a language barrier and as, as incredible as technology is with Google Translate and other other translation services available that try to make it as instantaneous as possible for us to remove the language barrier. There is still very much in, in our world a language barrier that, that complicates things. It complicates things. And imagine with me for a minute a world where that doesn't exist. Imagine with me a world where everyone speaks the same language. I mean, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. If you've ever traveled to the South, you would swear they speak a different language than we speak here, all right? And they would say that everybody in Wisconsin sounds like they're from Canada. And everybody from Wisconsin's like, we don't have accent. What are you guys talking about? We don't have any accent. It's, right? But, every, every, but everybody's got their own take on it. But still, imagine with me just for a minute that everyone in the world speaks the same language. That's what's going on here in Genesis 11. Everyone's on the same page. Everyone says everyone has the same language. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. So people settled in a place called Shinar because it was appealing to them. Now, Shinar happens to be in Iraq. Now, I know what you're thinking. Okay, so we're looking for some prime real estate. I know, Iraq. That sounds fantastic, right? Like, not exactly what we think of when we think of prime real estate. Well, some of that's geopolitical. Some of that is we live in Wisconsin, at least part of the year. Some of you, you've got the days counted down to you're out, right? In just a couple weeks, you're like, we'll see you in a few months. We're out. This has arrived a little too early. Yesterday, as I was in, in my driveway getting rid of all of the snow, I understand why people lived in, uh, live in Iraq. And part of me thought, you know, Kabul doesn't sound all that terrible right now, considering what's going on in my driveway. But they find a place of prime real estate. They find a place of prime real estate and it happens to be in Iraq. There's mild winters, 
There are very hot summers, but when you don't have all of the technological advances that we do, and we're still going to see, they have some incredible technological advances, but when you don't have all of the technological advances that we do, it makes living in certain regions much more difficult. In fact, there are certain regions you just can't, quite frankly, survive in if you don't have all the technological advances. So they find a place that has mild winters, hot summers, but there's flat ground, and in terms of what they need, it provides them a place where they can live in relative comfort with relative ease. And they said to one another, verse 3 tells us, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. So there's a desire There's a desire within them to build and to create. And remember the blessing. Remember the blessing that God has given Adam. Remember the blessing that God gave Noah and his family. It's the same blessing to us. The blessing is be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Live a life of innovation. Live a life of creativity. Live a life where you're dreaming things and building things, designing things, where you have all of these outlets to live within the passions that God has wired you and what he's given you. Live your life and and accomplish these great things. And here we see an element of them living out the blessing that God has given Adam and Noah and passed down to you and I. And and so in their ingenuity, they're going to make bricks. They're going to make bricks. They're going to use bitumen for mortar, which is like an asphalt substance. So they're going to build some really impressive buildings when you think of it for the tools and the resources that they have at their disposal. They're going to build some really incredible things. And then we get to verse 4. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. This is a grand vision. This is a huge dream. They get together. They said, hey, we've got the bricks thing figured out. We've got the mortar figured out. Let's build something massive. Let's create a city. Let's design a city where people gather and we build all of these impressive buildings. And at the center of the city, let's make a tower. And we don't just want a couple-story tower. We want to do something impressive. Let's build a tower that makes it all the way to heaven. Let's build a tower with its top in the heavens. I mean, this is a really big vision. This is a huge vision. And I just wonder... Are we still dreaming big dreams? Are we still dreaming big dreams? When you think of everything that they had to challenge them, they get together and there is optimism here and there is a desire. Let's build something that's just massive and on a grand scale. Nobody in their right mind would think this is an easy project. Nobody in their right mind would say, hey, that's going to be simple. All you got to do is this, this, and this, and there you go. Everybody would be like, wow. That's really big in terms of scope of project and everything else. And yet they're undeterred. Yet they have this really big vision. And I just wonder, are we still dreaming big dreams? And and secondly, this sounds really inspiring, doesn't it? Not only do they have big dreams, not only do they want to build something massive on a grand scale, but... But think about it. Let's build ourselves a city, and at the center of that city, let's build ourselves a tower. 
and that tower that's going to go its tops are going to be in the heavens? This sounds inspiring. Let's build a tower that's going to enable us to be with God is what it sounds like, but verse 4 doesn't end there. And what we're going to see is therein lies the problem. Because verse 4 continues, And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So the goal of their tower, which made it to the heavens, the goal of their city, the goal of all of their efforts, wasn't to be with God at all. That wasn't their goal. Their goal was to create a name for themselves. This isn't about God at all. This is about them having all the benefit, having all the benefit of heaven, but being focused on themselves. The main goal of heaven is not an escape from hell. The main goal of heaven is not to go and to be be with people that that you have lost, whom you love dearly from this world. The main goal of heaven is that we will have a restored relationship with our Creator. And that element is completely missing here from their desire. What they want is they want all the blessing and all of the benefits that God has to offer. They want all the blessings and all of the benefits that God has to offer without God in the equation. And we look at our society and we look at our culture and we see that sometimes when we look at the best ideals that people put forth, the best ideals that they strive for, we can see that sometimes the best ideals that people put forth and the best ideals that people strive for, there's, there's really good desire that's within them. And sometimes we look at those, those ideals and we say, we can even trace where those come from God. But the problem oftentimes is that people want all the benefit and they want all the blessing without God. And we can see that in a cultural sense, but it can creep into our lives as well. Where we want everything good that God has to offer. We want all of his blessings. We want all of his goodness. But we want it on our own terms. We want to experience the blessing of God, but we want to live our lives our way. We want, we want God to bless us and, and to just do all these incredible things for us, but we don't really want God in the picture. And that's incredibly dangerous. And that's exactly what's going on here. The problem is not that they wanted to reach heaven with the tower. The problem is that their desire was all about themselves, which shows us it was never about reaching heaven to be with God. It was all about having all the blessings and all of the benefits that God offers without God being in the picture. And really, what are we saying when we do that? That we want to displace God. We want to build our own legacies. We want all the blessings and the benefits of God, but without God being the central focus of it, what we're really saying is we, we want to be God. 
God, bless us. Give us the benefits of following you, but we don't really want to follow you in the times you call us to do things that aren't comfortable. God, give me the blessings and the benefits of following you, but I don't really want to follow you when it makes my life more complicated. God, give me the blessings and the benefits, but I want to do things on my own terms. And what we're going to see today is God wants no part of that. God wants no part of that. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves and the ways we have to analyze our own lives right now is we just very simply have to ask, God, do I want the blessings and the benefits that you offer as part of a relationship with you? Or God, do I really just want the blessings and the benefits of you without following you? God, do I really just want an easy life? Do I really just want a blessed life? And as we wrestle through that question, one of the ways you know the real answer to that is by how much you're inviting God into your life. By how much you're operating your life according to God's plan for your life instead of your own plan for your life. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. So God shows up. And he analyzes what they're doing. And did you catch that? He said, now they're unified. Now nothing will be impossible for them. I'm fascinated by this. I'm fascinated by God showing up on the scene and looking at what they had accomplished and God's knowledge of how much people that he created in his own image are capable of. I'm fascinated by this. I'm fascinated by this. That God says, you know what? Look at what they're already accomplishing. Look at what they're already doing. Nothing is going to be impossible for them. That's God's mindset when he looks at the people that he created in his image. That they're unified, they're on the same page. Nothing's going to be impossible for them. And we look at ourselves sometimes. And we look at our lives sometimes. And frankly, there's a defeatist attitude. And where God looks at us and says, hey, when you're unified, when you're on the same page, nothing's impossible for you. We're like, everything's impossible for us. Look at the dumpster fire of humanity. We can't accomplish anything good. God, have you seen my property tax bill? I can't even get a pothole filled. What's going on? Like, you can accomplish everything. I can't have a road without worrying about a flat tire because of the holes on it. What are you talking about? I wonder, are we unnecessarily limiting our potential? Are we unnecessarily limiting ourselves? Do we recognize the, the full potential that God created us with? Do we really, really believe 
that every single one of us are created in the image of God. Because we live in a culture, we live in a society that, that devalues people. It devalues people. It wants to turn you into a part of a machine. It wants to turn you into all kinds of things. It wants to turn you into a statistic. It wants to... We live, we live with, with just in a society that just tries to diminish and demoralize you, and it, it tries to steal some of your value. And living in a world that way, whether, whether we fight it intentionally or not, that mindset can creep in. And if we're not careful, we start to believe some of it. And the problem is that we are created in God's image. And I think that God has a higher opinion of humanity and what we, can, what we can do than we ourselves do. And I think we've allowed the enemy to come through all these tactics and to dis- demoralize us and to discourage us and allow us to lose sight of just what we could potentially accomplish. God says, they're unified. They're on the same page. They speak the same language. There is no limitation to what they're going to be able to do. So come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. What? So God looks at what they're doing and says, they're capable of anything. Let's confuse them. Now, this might bother you. At at your core, you might be like, why? So God creates man in his image, blesses them, tells them, be fruitful, multiply. They're they're, They're being fruitful. They're creating things. They're designing things. God shows up, says, they're unified. They're able to do anything. So let's confuse them. And and on its face value, you might read this and say, God's evil. God's sadistic. God's unnecessarily cruel. And might I suggest that just the opposite is true. That what we actually see is by God coming down and confusing their language so that they can't understand one another, is loving intervention. That God will sometimes lovingly intervene and make our lives more difficult for our own good. Now, if you have somehow thought you signed up when you made the decision to follow Jesus for a life of riches and a life of ease and a life where everything now is going to go your way because you have a cosmic agreement with the God of the universe that you follow him and now everything in your world is going to go perfect. You can't wrap your mind around this. Never mind the fact that nowhere in Scripture has God offered us the agreement you think you've walked into. In fact, just the opposite. 
God has repeatedly said, in this world you're going to have troubles. In this world you're going to be hated. And the reason you're going to have troubles and the reason you're going to be hated is because this world hates me first. And here we see that God shows up and lovingly intervenes and makes their lives more difficult. And sometimes, this is the truth, sometimes God makes our lives more difficult not because he's angry at us, not because he hates us, but because he loves us. Sometimes God lovingly puts obstacles in our way. Sometimes God lovingly makes our lives more difficult. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. And they left off building the city. Not, not only does God give them different languages. And man, I would have, like, I so wish we could time travel. Because I would just love to see this. You got a couple guys out there making bricks. Maybe a husband and wife in the middle of a fight. Right, they're arguing, hey, lunch, you know, uh, uh, lunch isn't good. I want this for lunch. Make your own lunch. You know, whatever's going on there, they're doing that. And then all of a sudden, God's just like, yeah, they can do anything, you know. Let's give them a different language. Boom. And then you're just like, lunch wasn't good. And he's like, I don't understand you. And you're like, what do you mean you don't understand? And you're not understanding anything she says. You, it, that would be a fascinating scene to see, wouldn't it? Just like in an instant. What's going on? And imagine the frustration. Imagine the panic. Imagine just everything that's, that's taken place in this, in this moment. And then on top of that, God scatters the people. He scatters them. So not only has God made it so that people can't easily talk, but he's made it so they can't easily be together. People can't easily talk. People can't easily be together. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So what do we see? When people don't communicate and don't congregate, there's confusion and a lack of unity. When people don't communicate and they don't congregate, there is confusion and a lack of unity. And this is one of the biggest problems that our society faces in a world where everybody just wants to live where every idea that they have is echoed. When we want to live in the echo chamber. And so we, we only spend time, right? We only spend time with people who agree with us. We only spend time with people who have the same viewpoint as us. We only want to hear from people with our viewpoint. Because the other side is so stinking crazy, they've lost their minds. 
The problem is the other side only wants to be in their echo chamber too, and they think you're so crazy, you've lost your mind, and we've lived, we've allowed ourselves to become this society where we only get around people who think the exact same way as we do. And some of you cannot wait for election season next year, only because come late September, you're going to drive to all your friends' houses and see which ones you want to take off the list because of what yard sign they have in their yard. And you're like, I can't wait to unfollow them on Facebook. It's been years in the making, and now I can do it. When people don't communicate, and when they don't congregate, there is a lack of understanding, and there is a lack of unity. What are the implications? In a day and age where everybody wants to live in an echo chamber, in a day and age where where some people feel it's not safe to be together, and and we understand that, what do we do? What do we do with this? Well, let's start with the communication piece. Let's start with the communication piece. Communicate, which doesn't just mean talk. It means to listen. And not just, not just hear what the other person, not just hear the words that they say. But to really listen. For the heart behind the reason they feel the way that they feel. For what shapes their perspective. Not that you have to hide, not that you can't share your own. I mean, that's communication. Part of communication is talking. And that's one of the troubles with communication is some people never shut up, and then there's other people that never talk. And the people that never shut up, we're like, shut up. And the people that never talk, you're like, talk. And the people that never shut up don't want to shut up, and the people that don't want to talk, they don't want to talk. And you're like, ah. But communicate. So if you're one of those people that never wants to shut up, make sure you shut up occasionally. And if you're one of those people that doesn't like to say more than three words a day, stretch yourself. People aren't mind readers. But we need to communicate. Communicate with people you agree with. That's healthy. Talk about how crazy the other side is. That's good, right? It gets it out. It's good to have that outlet. Don't keep all that bottled up. It's not going to end well. You talk about they're crazy. You agree. Communicate with people you don't agree with. Don't start the conversation. You crazy. Don't, Don't do that. Instead of trying to win an argument, try help me understand. Help me understand. Not that we have to walk out of this room agreeing, but at least help me understand how you came to this. Express yourself and listen to people. We need to congregate. 
We need to be intentional about being together. And if you're streaming from home and it's because of health concerns and everything else, we completely understand that. And this is a pandemic and we live in a time where, where it's incredibly difficult. And, and I know some people are feeling, they're, they're feeling more brave. They're feeling more freedom because they've been vaccinated. Other people are saying, I'm not getting vaccinated. If I get it, I get it. And wherever you are in that spectrum, frankly, I don't care. I want you to do whatever you feel is right. You pray about it. You talk to your physician about it. You talk to your family about it. You do what's right for you. And if you need to stay home and be away from people, that's fine. But if you can't physically, if you can't physically congregate, then you have got to work on emotionally congregating. Make it a point to have FaceTime calls. Make it a point to do Zoom calls. Make it a point to come up with a plan for when it will be safe for you to be around others, to be together. Don't allow yourself to become isolated. Here's the reality. If we will communicate and we will congregate, if we will talk and we will listen and we will value being together in community, I really believe there are very few limits to what we can accomplish. And it takes us having to stretch a little bit. But this is how God originally created us anyways. And God lovingly put roadblocks in our way. So we understand that, and we don't have to like it, but sometimes God lovingly puts those roadblocks in our way. But here's what else we know. The enemy is a counterfeit of our Creator. And the enemy will come and try to put roadblocks in our way that will stop us from accomplishing good. God lovingly puts roadblocks in the way because he sees, hey, all these people want all the benefit and all the blessing of following me without relationship with me, and that's a highway to hell. So I'm going to put some roadblocks in their way lovingly that they recognize their need for me. And as people who made the decision to follow after God and follow Jesus, we must reject and we must refuse any effort that the enemy's going to come and put roadblocks in our way. And so you don't vote the way that I vote, but you love Jesus and you're my brother and you're my sister and that's more important than the way that you vote. You don't think the same way that I do about what sports team to follow. I don't really care. We can watch a game together. We don't have to be jerks about it, right? We can, we can say, hey, good job. Woohoo, way to go. We can even make fun of each other as long as our little feelings don't get hurt. But you let me know how far you want to go because I ain't got feelings. So let me know, all right? And I, listen, I'm a Browns fan. I know suffering. You're not going to be able to shake me. It is impossible. They've tried to break me. For over 20 years, they've tried. But the Lord has made me resilient. Hallelujah. Amen. Listen, we have got, we have got to communicate and congregate. And together we will see 
God accomplish incredible things. When we say, God, we don't just want your benefits. We don't just want your blessings. We want you at the forefront. You are the aim. You are the purpose. And everything else, everything else to that secondary. So we'll talk, and we'll listen, and we'll love being together because there's something greater than just us, and that's community. And yes, sometimes God puts roadblocks in our way, but the enemy does the same thing. We need to make sure we don't allow the enemy's counterfeit Roadblocks to stand in our way of achieving all that God would have for us when we follow after him. God, I pray that we would be people who are full of dreams, full of wonder, that we would want to accomplish big things in our lives for you, that we would want to see you just do incredible things through us. God, that we wouldn't be people who want the benefit and the blessing of you without you being at the forefront. That we wouldn't think that because we've made the decision to follow you, we've signed up for some deal where our lives are going to be perfect and nothing bad's ever going to go our way. But Lord, I I pray that we would be people who first and foremost want you more than your blessings, more than your benefits. And we would never get that messed up. That we would be people who, who really remember that we're created in your image. God, that we would communicate. That we would talk and we would listen. We would learn and we would grow. That we would congregate, that we would be together. For those that that can't be right now, God, I pray that you wouldn't allow the enemy to come and to lie to them and make them feel alone. That in their loneliness, they wouldn't believe the lie that they are alone. God, that you would encourage them. And for those that that can be together, God, I pray they'd put a value on community. God, I pray that you would allow us to see all of this play out here at Lakeside. That we could disagree on things without being disagreeable. That we would have people that agree with us and people that disagree with us. But at the end of the day, Lakeside would be a place that is full of people who first and foremost follow you. And that's the main thing. And that we would take joy in being together. Celebrating with one another. Mourning with one another encouraging one another, carrying one another when we're too weak. God, let this be more than ideals. Let this be our reality. And it takes each and every one of us 
So God, I pray we will have the courage for each and every one of us to be the one. God, that you would blow us away with what you do in that. We ask in your son Jesus' name.